As I had mentioned, as I had mentioned at the beginning of Mass, today is Divine Mercy Sunday. A brief history on the origins of this Sunday being called Divine Mercy. So 20 years ago it was not, and it certainly wasn't 30 years ago. And so what happened in the last 20 or 30 years that this Sunday would become known as Divine Mercy Sunday goes back to uh, St. Faustina in the 1920s and 30s. She had apparitions in Poland of Jesus. There's a whole book on that, so if you can read that whole book on her story. Uh, But in there, in one of those apparitions, or multiple apparitions, Jesus had told her that he wanted the Sunday after Easter to be known as Divine Mercy Sunday. And then he gave her the chaplet of Divine Mercy and how to pray that, and he wanted that spread too. Well, as the church very typically does, the church is very skeptical that she had received any apparitions, and basically the kibosh was put on the whole thing until the Polish bishop, John Paul II, became the pope, and then he released divine mercy. And that's where, in the 1980s, the chaplet of divine mercy is then agreed to allow to go public, and by the 90s it's pretty popular. And somewhere around the year 2000, Pope John Paul II makes the Sunday after Easter known as Divine Mercy Sunday. So, next question. Why does Jesus want the Sunday after Easter known as Divine Mercy Sunday? There's two prominent reasons. The first is this. That on this Sunday, in our readings, no matter the year cycle, we have this scene of Jesus appearing to his apostles after after his resurrection and saying, peace be with you. So this is kind of important. So think of who Jesus is. He's God. He came into the world to save us, and he, he worked for three years with these men who were supposed to be his lieutenants, his right hand, etc. And after the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane, they all abandoned him. Two of them made it to the foot of the cross. John, and, or rather, John made it to the foot of the cross. Peter made it as far as Ananias and Caiaphas's uh, the high priest place, and then Peter, the first pope, proceeds to deny that he even knows who Jesus is. So these guys, except for John, would be scared of Jesus, scared that in their moment, when they could have proven their love for him, they showed that they were indeed cowards, that they had abandoned Jesus, and that they had left him to himself to be tortured to death. And then what's more, Jesus appears in their midst. He doesn't walk through the door or knock. He just simply appears like a ghost. So he obviously has supernatural power. And they don't know what to make of what's coming. So Jesus' first words to them are, peace be with you. And then they're stunned to silence. And then he says it again, peace be with you. And then he appears a week later, and Thomas was not at that first one. He appears a week later. And when he appears a week later, he says the same thing. He magically appears in the room and says, peace be with you. So this is what's being demonstrated. Is that Jesus is infinitely merciful. These guys, honestly, I mean, if, if we had employees who did this to us, you know, you're counting on them to come through with whatever, and none of them did, sort of thing, you'd want to fire all of them. At, at a minimum, you know, you'd want to have a good talking to them. But what if you lost your business because these people didn't do their job? Then not only are they fired, but you're fired too. You're, you're all fired because you lost the business. They didn't do what they needed to do. But here's Jesus saying, peace be with you. And a demonstration of his mercy. 
I have mercy on you. For that matter, Jesus would have mercy on his executioners, whether that's Herod or Pontius Pilate or Judas who betrayed him or the men who ripped the flesh off of his, his back with those cat and nine tails, all those guys. He'd have mercy on all of them. Powerful demonstration of his mercy. But the second reason for this Divine Mercy Sunday is the sacrament of confession. When Jesus appears to the apostles, he breathes on them and he says, Peace be with you. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. So today is the institution of the sacrament of confession. Confession has a couple of other names. Its official name in English is penance, the sacrament of penance, also known popularly as reconciliation. But today is the birthday of the sacrament of confession. Now, most people are like, yeah, okay, all right. But that's actually super, super important, and I'm going to talk about that. On Holy Thursday, which was only two Thursdays ago, there was maybe 600 people gathered here in the church to celebrate the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, Jesus institutes the Holy Eucharist, and at the Last Supper, he also institutes the priesthood. So we're all here celebrating the institution of those two sacraments, the Mass and the priesthood. Imagine if on some weekday of the week, Monday through Friday, we had a special Mass called Penance Mass, or celebrating the Sacrament of Confession. How many people would show up? I don't think it would be 600 or something. We don't appreciate what we've got. We truly don't. I was thinking through miracles. And the ability to absolve someone of of their sins is a miracle. A profound miracle. But yesterday afternoon as I was preparing the homily, I thought, of all the miracles that God has done, what's a bigger miracle than the ability to remove someone's sins? So I just started thinking of just miracles of God, miracles of the saints that that God enables the saints to do, etc. Maybe about a dozen. And I went through these, and they're pretty impressive. But they don't actually measure up to the removal of sin. God has power over nature. That's a miracle that we see. God who creates nature observes the laws that he gave nature. But once in a blue moon, God will suspend the laws of nature to do something with nature, to demonstrate to people that he's God. So we see this in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. We see it when Jesus was crucified on Calvary. There was a solar eclipse of the sun for three hours. God moved the moon in front of the sun and directed that darkness over Jerusalem for three hours. Then he let the moon go back to its normal orbit. There was an earthquake at the time of Jesus' death. When Jesus was on the water, they were in the boat, and it was a storm, and they were going to sink. And Jesus says to the, to the wind, stop. And the wind stops and the sea calms. Jesus walks on water. He has power over nature, and we see these miracles demonstrated in the scriptures. Certain saints would have certain powers in this area too. The miracle of healing. People are sick, paralyzed people, blind people, deaf people, mute people, and the ability to heal them, and many of the saints too. Even in this day and age, there are some people who have that gift of healing. Raising people from the dead. Jesus raises Lazarus. He raises Tabitha. But even Peter and Paul will both raise people from the dead. And that's why in our first reading today, we heard about people 
getting out there and lining the streets where Peter was walking so that a shadow would fall over them. Peter became a miracle worker. Christ's resurrection from the dead, which is really big because no one has ever been able to raise himself from the dead. Christ's ascension into heaven, body, soul, and divinity up into heaven. He wasn't the only one, though. The Blessed Virgin Mary, Elijah, and Enoch all ascended into heaven in their bodies, too. The casting out of demons, the bilocation of certain saints, Padre Pio and a few others could be in multiple places at the same time. The knowledge of sins, Padre Pio and John Vianney and a few others in the confessional would know your sins. The stigmata, some have the stigmata, recognizing relics and holy objects, the gift of prophecy, levitation, some can float off the ground. Speaking in tongues, and this I'm not just talking about people getting together and trying it, but people who truly have, in a moment, an ability to speak in angelic language. And understanding different languages. So St. Anthony, and remember at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon these guys, they spoke in Hebrew, but everyone out there understood them in their own language. There's a word for that, and forget that miracle. Jesus' power over hostile wills. He could be in a crowd and they try to get him, and then he passes through their midst miraculously. These are all just miracles that I could think of just sitting in my, in my desk. <clears throat> but here's the thing. They all pale in comparison to the removal of sin. There's really one miracle to rule them all. The absolution of sin. There was a scene where Jesus is speaking to some people in a one-room house. And the people up above remove the roof, move the the branches, the thatch, and whatever, and lower a paralytic man. Imagine you're seeing all this dirt in the air, people choking and blinded by the dirt, and he's lowered and everyone's upset. And Jesus says to the Pharisees who are there, he says, What's the greater miracle, removing this man's sins or healing him from his paralysis? Well, the obvious answer is removing this man's sins. Only God could do that. And Jesus says, but to show you that I am God, I'll do both. Your sins are forgiven and you're healed from paralysis. The man stands up, rolls up his mat, and walks away. The forgiveness of sin, sins, is salvation. Adam and Eve, for one sin, lost heaven. For one sin... There was, in the Garden of Eden, there were no traffic laws. There were no, none of our laws. There wasn't even the Ten Commandments. There's just one. Don't touch that tree. Don't touch it. And they blew it. They blew it. And for it, they must die. And also, too, in their mind, they're thinking damnation. There's nothing after death. But there was. There was Sheol. And they lived in Sheol for thousands of years until Jesus died in Calvary descended into Sheol and let them go along with Abraham and Moses and the rest. This forgiveness of sins enables a person to go to heaven. After baptism, there's only one way to remove mortal sin, and that's through the sacrament of confession. When we think about this day, we think about really truly its immortal saving ability the sacrament of confession. It should be celebrated like the 4th of July with a parade and all kinds of fireworks and all of this sort of stuff. It should be this great, great 
praise God moment. But the truth is that most people don't like confession. It's really, really sad. And why don't people like confession? Because people don't like to acknowledge their sins. There's something in us that thinks that if we acknowledge our sins, then we make ourselves vulnerable to attack. Adam and Eve sinned, and they realize they're, they're naked, and they go and hide from God. They're afraid God's going to hurt them. We're afraid that if we acknowledge our sins, that somehow we'll get hurt. But it's just the opposite. That the acknowledging of our sins is how we get healed. It's how we repair the damage. All right. So, saints go to confession. Sinners don't. I'll repeat that. Saints go to confession. Sinners don't. Sinners should be going to confession, but they don't. They just stay hidden in their sins through their pride and their arrogance and whatever other excuses they make for themselves. They just don't go to confession. The saints do. They go weekly or every other week. Saints John Paul II and Mother Teresa of Calcutta, whose images are in that alcove over there, they both went to confession multiple times per week. Mother Teresa a couple times a week, John Paul II every day or every other day. Now, they had priests all around them, all right? So you don't have that. But they were saints, and this is my point. Is it going to confession doesn't indicate that we're a sinner, Going to confession indicates that we're on our way to sanctity, on our way to salvation. For we are all sinners. We are all sinners. No one's going to tell me they're not a sinner. I do more than touch the forbidden tree before I even have my first cup of coffee in the morning, all right? We're all sinners. And we're all in need of salvation. And Jesus gave us the sacrament to save our immortal souls. Without it, we're lost in mortal sin. Doctor or a gym? I don't like to go to the doctor. I can be very, very sick, and I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm not going to give the doctor a call. When I broke my leg two summers ago, I was going to the doctor. Sometimes there are things that are just so big that, okay, we'll go. We'll go. And I think that a lot of us think of confession that way. It's like a a trip to the doctor's office. It's not something that I I, want to do or that I should do unless there's something life-ending here. But going to confession is like going to the gym. It's like exercise. It might not be that enjoyable, but the more we do it, the more we like it, the healthier we become, the more we want to do it, etc. The better we become. The better we become. All right, I want to finish with this. Go to confession at least once a year. We have to. It's a precept of the church. At least annual confession. The other is the church has always recommended monthly confession. So if you could get to that point in your life where you're going to confession once a month for the rest of your life, it would be a game changer. A lot of people struggle with repetitive sins and addiction to certain sins. The way that's broken is the sacrament of confession. And lastly, this. I want you to pray for priests. Somehow we got it in our mind that, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff that goes in people's minds. But when I go into the confessional, it's spiritual warfare. 
it's spiritual warfare. People accuse me of all kinds of things and whatever, and I can never defend myself because I can't break the seal of confession. People come to confession and their focus is them and their own sins, etc. And the priest is thinking, there's ten people in line behind you, right? We've got to move this along. And I hear, like, confession number 2,000 in the last six months. So, you know, kind of thing. And unless you're John Vianney and almost no saint, no, no priest is, I can't read your mind. I don't know your sins. I don't even know who you are. And I don't necessarily know the right counsel either. So maybe when you're standing in line, you can say a prayer for the priest. Say a prayer for yourself that you'll be a good penitent. Say a prayer for the priest that he'll be a good confessor. And pray and pray that priests will return to the confessional. And like me, they'll begin to preach again on this beautiful, life-saving sacrament.